0: Welcome to the Inside Out Money Podcast.
1: Can't even recognize this place Too many pieces of our past mistakes.
0: Hi, I'm Maggie, and I believe real change starts from the inside out. So let's work together to improve our money and our lives from the inside out. We will explore all things money and our relationship with it. Join me each week with a rotating set of co hosts, friends, and interviews. Let's jump in. Hey, Maggie. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Inside Out Money. For those of you who might be new here, this is a personal finance podcast focused on redefining wealth from the inside out. Each week, I speak with a rotating set of co-hosts about a different financial topic to help you improve your financial mindset and tactics. Today, we have co-host Andrew, and we are talking about how much you need to retire. But before we get into that, Andrew, you... Oh, hi, by the way. Hey. Hello. You look different.
1: I have my adult headphones on. That may be thrown you off a little That's bit. That's not it. You look... I have, I have my Inside Out Money shirt That's on. nice.
0: I don't have mine on. What? But I did. I know it's a long story. I you, just do a record- good, you,
1: you, you got it in the background, so that I got counts.
0: popsicles on my shirt. That's fun. It's not tie-dye, but it's fun. I just recorded with Erica. She had on her Inside Out Money shirt. So shout out to you guys. No shout out to me. No, you look different. Like you look like you have more gold in your life. Like you've got more wins <laughs> on your belt, whatever they call it in the <laughs> cycling community. More gold ribbons, gold medals. What do they give you when you want a bike race?
1: Uh, gold medal. Yeah. Yeah. Like on yeah. a
0: like on a lanyard nice har- around your yeah, neck? Yeah, I
1: got some nice hardware.
0: Wow. So tell us what you did this past weekend. Yeah. Way, it was, it's way uh, more than I did, to be clear.
1: It was a big week. It, uh, it was Masters Nationals in uh, in Augusta, Georgia. And so it was the the big race of the year. And I uh, last year, I won both the time trial and the road race. And so I was trying to do that again this year. And, you were trying uh, to
0: defend your title, right? I was right? trying
1: to defend the titles. Yes. W- were there the, people people
0: that thought that like, because you were kind of like new in the community last year that you came in and like swept all these other people that had been racing yeah, for a I while. Yeah, I
1: had an, um, an, anonymity,
0: anonymity on your side. Thank
1: you. On my side last year, definitely. And uh, it was, I knew it was going to be much harder, especially in the road race, because tactics play such a big part in, in road racing. I had 65 guys in my field and I had 64 people looking uh, looking for my wheel to follow. So it becomes much, much more difficult. But yeah, I put in a really uh, solid year of training and I was able to win both the the time trial on Thursday, which was 20 miles and then 60 miles on Friday for the road race. And it was insanely hot. It was
0: uh, one of the hottest weekends.
1: It was the two hottest days of the year, basically. Um, And on the starting line of the road race, my cycling computer was reading 122 degrees on the start line. Now we were in the sun, but it was still 122 degrees on on the start line. So that's
0: insane. Congratulations. Thank first you. First off. Thank That's you. insane second off, but that is just the heat and everything. And that you're one, and, and I mean, not insane because you, you know, you prepared for this. You're really good. I'm in no way surprised, but that was a pretty amazing feat. Thank you. And then I'm over here talking about mouth breathing on my like three mile <laughs> leisurely runs.
1: Oh my goodness. And Andrew, I was, you finally I chime was... in
0: a little late because you're like winning, you know, world championships and stuff, but you finally chime in you're like, I'm kind of an expert on this like and I was like, oh you gave me like the best answer so far. It's a little nuanced, but you had the perfect. I
1: was I was laughing pretty hard when I saw that saw that post on Instagram.
0: So you're definitely mouth breathing while you're winning these races. Absolutely.
1: Yes. You couldn't nose
0: breathe your way to (laughs) <laughs> no. Not possible.
1: <laughs> Definitely full on get the mouth as wide as possible in order to get as much oxygen in as possible.
0: Well, let me ask you a, a logistics question. Do you ever get bugs in your mouth as a result?
1: Oh, yeah. Yep.
0: Because I well, cause I, get some, I noticed that happened to me when I was running with my mouth. And I was like, this is terrible. So I'm like then putting my face down to try to not like, what do you just suck it up yeah. and take it? Like it's I'm like a protein.
1: really buggy night and you're going through like a bunch of bugs. You got to just tilt the head down and get the uh, get the bugs get out of your mouth. Yeah.
0: Okay. But don't you just get surprised sometimes, and all of a sudden, yeah. Sometimes you're like, you
1: surprised. Oh. yeah. Well,
0: yeah. you just like spit it out, or you just like swallow <laughs> yeah. it and take the protein, or what?
1: A little bit of both.
0: Okay. If <laughs> ever get like a bee in your mouth, anything crazy, like?
1: Uh, I've had the worst, are the bees that that fly into your helmet and then sting the top of your head. What? Yeah. So I've had that. That's pretty common. I've had and that happen a couple going? times. Yeah. Yeah. I've been. St- I've probably been stung three or four times in the past two to three years. Yeah. They
0: must not mean to get in your helmet. They must be getting no. caught in there and then they're no, just. It's,
1: it's the worst yeah
0: because they're like you're all of a sudden they get caught and they're just flying around like leisurely they get caught in your helmet they're going like 60 miles aren't you going like 60 miles an hour
1: no, on the downhills 50 okay. miles an hour but yeah so typically 50, you're going 25 30 miles an hour right yeah so it's yeah the bees are can be a challenge
0: um well right now i need to know how fast do bees fly so bees like the western honeybee did you know they only fly about 15 to 20 miles an hour so when they get stuck in your helmet they're pissed off and they're like all of a sudden feeling wind like they've never felt before and that's why they're stinging your head. Okay. I don't know how we got here, but, and, and how we're going to segue Talking about from, mouth, mouth breathing. Yeah. Western honeybees to how much do you need to retire? So this topic, Andrew, I feel like I've said this on many topics lately, but it just is true. Many people have re- like Many people have requested this topic, but actually more, a, a better way to say that is many people text me or DM me or email me with this question. And I'm always like, uh, I can't answer it in like a, you know, quick pithy paragraph or a response yeah. to a, a message on instagram it we're barely going to be able to cover it in one podcast episode because it is incredibly nuanced right the answer yeah, I mean, is but, it depends
1: yeah it definitely depends but if you think about it it's kind of like the fundamental question of the financial independence community right Yeah, is, that's true is, is it's kind of the end goal for for most people to to achieve right is yeah. right financial independence kind of the definition of is you can you essentially you retire right you don't need to to work anymore um to support your lifestyle um, with a paycheck, so yeah. it's kind of it's kind of the end game. So it's not surprising that people have have a lot of questions about it. But it's a great topic. You can you can kind of pull together a lot of different things within this within this topic.
0: Yeah, and so I mean, we'll do our best today to explain what it depends on and the different <laughs> factors and nuances that you need to think about. But the reason, well, the reality is, it's very nuanced, and there's a yeah, lot of I, different. Yeah, one hundred percent
1: agree. Like I think we will cover. <laughs> excuse me, we will cover the. Different aspects, and because like most things in personal finance, it's personal and it depends yeah. on your overall situation, what your goals are, uh, what kind of lifestyle you want to live. But I think the the goal of today's discussion is is to highlight the different factors and and have help people make educated decisions around what are all the different inputs that feed into this question ultimately of yeah. how much do I need to retire. And so I think we can cover a bunch of different aspects of those inputs. Talk about the things that maybe you and I have considered and then really just kind of lay out the framework of, of how, we, how we think about it. And so other people can take their own personal situation and apply their situation to to some of the things that we, we talk about.
0: Yeah, totally. You should be able to take these tools and apply it to your own personal situation. That, that would be success at the end of this, I think. So one thing that I think is worth starting with, Andrew, is back to your point about the FIRE community and this being kind of the big question at the crux of it, or the F- FI or FIRE. So FI is financial independence, FIRE is financial independence, Retire early, but there's this you know very well-known four percent rule, also known as the twenty-five times rule, and it is a super quick and dirty rule of thumb. But I'll tell you what I don't like love about it, because, and I think many people get confused by it, and I myself have been confused by it pre and post retirement. I've been confused by it, but is the rule essentially says that you need twenty-five times your annual cost of living to be able to retire, and that's the math at any age in theory.
1: Correct, and and there are a couple. Key- caveats for the rule. The rule came about as part of the Trinity study. So this study, Trinity University to study, and they, they back-tested the market. And they they said, if you were to take your current assets on the, the year that you retire, and you were to take 4% out of those assets. So easy math, you've got a million dollars in assets. You're going to take 4% out in your first year of retirement. You're going to have $40,000 to live on for your retirement for that year. And then you adjust it for inflation. So it does it does go up or down if there is the if there's deflation. And the key points of that are that it was it was designed for a 30 year retirement and it has a 95% likely Probably success rate. Prob- success rate yeah. Right. Success rate is the is because the... they
0: can't predict all the other factors that could happen. Right.
1: But but you know based off of what they studied 95% of the time that take your assets 4% adjust for inflation every year, regardless list of what the market is doing. So like the market could be down huge, 15-20%, yeah. but you're still taking out that 4% every single year adjusted for for inflation.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that I think is not as well communicated when people talk about that rule is the age and probability factor, Absolutely. right? Because because like what you just said, just a double-click on it is it was always sort of yeah, it doesn't matter what age, but you have people that are doing like that are pulling the plug at 25 or 30 and they have a much longer horizon of number of years they're not working. And so it's it's in theory kind of still holds true, but with a much lower probability of success than if you have, like you said, an average of a 30 year retirement.
1: Correct. So if if you go up to if you look at if you back test it and do some of the same analysis over 40 years, over 50 years, 60 years even, those those probabilities of success drop dramatically. And so that's why it's it's not a great, you know, it, it's it's good for a, hey, let's just do some quick math on it, but it really depends on your overall situation situation and what what else you need to take into account.
0: And you say drops dramatically, but like in the probability world, it's a dramatic drop. Well, I'll give an example from early retirement now, Andrew, that you pulled and sent to me. If you're 100% invested in stocks with the money you have and you're you're withdrawing at the 4% rate, the probability of success if you have a 30-year retirement is 97%. The probability of success if you have a 60-year retirement, which would be what it is if you're retiring at the age of 30, on mm-hmm. average, maybe live to 90, goes down to 89%. That's still like a high probability. So a lot of people would still take those odds and would say, well, I'll adjust, you know, I might spend less over time or I might make some additional money. Like I'm not going to not make any money for 60 years. Right. So we'll, we'll get into that, but there's right. a lot of things that can kind of sway that percentage.
1: Yeah. The, the general thinking now is, is that if you're the longer the horizon, you've got, you've got to discount that 4% a little bit.
0: Yeah. And then the other thing that I think is just worth noting, and we'll talk more about this, but when I first heard that rule and I get so many questions from people about this. I thought, oh, that's your overall net worth. And I was like, well, not really. That really is like your the part of your net worth that's liquid in Correct. some way, right? Invested, because
1: invested assets. Yeah, assets invested that are assets. generating a return. That's how I like yeah. to think about it.
0: And you want to, I mean, we'll talk about this more, but you want to break down those specific assets, right? Because some mm-hmm. without penalty or creative like conversion ladders and other things aren't available until you're a certain age. So you want to make sure you have the right mix of assets in the right places. But yeah, like a good people, example,
1: like a good example of that is like I never include the 529 plan for my college, my kids' college, and when I'm yeah. thinking about my calculations. Right. That's kind of carved out.
0: Yeah. And many and, people don't include their houses in those calculations absolutely. because they don't plan on they plan on living in their house. Now, I know like Liz as an example, plans on downgrading when she retires. She she says she's, you know, a bigger, more expensive house than she needs in retirement. And so she plans so you maybe include half your house value yeah. and you know, whatever you're going to do. You can get very specific on it. But on that note, let's actually get into what do people need? How do you actually figure out what you personally need to retire.
1: Yeah, so I think that you always have to start with the expenses on the expense side, and and thinking about what are your what are your annual expenses. In order to know that, you got to be tracking your spending, and so uh, expenses are are key. A lot of financial planners talk about your expenses being lower in retirement, and I think that is probably more along the lines of a traditional retirement. Yeah. But in my modeling, I've I've modeled expenses to actually be higher because I think that that you'll you know you'll have more time if you are retiring on the earlier side than a traditional retirement at, at mm-hmm. 65 or, or later in life. And so I I've, I've modeled mine to be to be 20% higher than than our current run rate um, as I when I think about it.
0: Yeah. And you're I mean there's a bunch of things that go into that that again, you need to think about for your own personal right. situation. Like but... I, might,
1: I think you you've said yourself that that your expenses in early retirement have actually been higher than what you what you may have expected.
0: Yeah, exactly and they've been higher, a big chunk of it is because of things that have changed and evolved with my kids and the activities they're doing and the expenses they have and things they, they cost more than they cost when they were younger. And I didn't really anticipate, I anticipate a lot of other things. I didn't anticipate that specifically. And I do have a lot more free time and I want to enjoy it with Greg. And sometimes that involves us going out and spending money and I don't want to be limited and benefits for many people will cost them more. Right. And, and again, if you're assuming benefits when you're 65 or 70, you're assuming that you're gonna be on Medicare, that you're gonna have, you know, other types of government sponsored support in your older age for benefits. But when you're 40, you've got to go buy benefits on the marketplace or privately through an insurance company. And they cost more than they might have been than they might have cost when they were subsidized by your employer. So it could be kids, it could be that you want to plan, you know, to fund a wedding. Like you need to think mm-hmm. about your expenses now and your expenses in the future. And I know I did an episode with Greg, I can't even remember which episode it was, but it was it might have been one of the Friends on Fire episodes where it was how a family of five can afford to retire at 41, something like that. But what we talked about is I included all sorts of, you know, I I know our average expenses, but I also included all sorts of unexpected things, like college costs more than I want, or I want to pay for more college than I'm expecting to pay for. Uh, there's a medical emergency. I remember I like had a joke in there of like, I might need to buy a Tesla. And then we did. Um, and so there's just things that you want to plan for. Your benefits cost more. It could be anything, but that you need to do yourself. And I actually was talking to someone the other day who said they just put in an $8,000 extra estimate per year of unexpected stuff. And I was like, oh, that's great. And that was kind of like a, you know, one year I'm going to need a car. They just kind of averaged out, like, I'm going to need a roof at some point. I'm going to need, you know, a new car, so th- these different expenses that will hit every five to 10 years, and I'll just average them out. So that, that's one approach you could take.
1: Yeah, I in my model, I have a, a line for unexpected kind of one-time things. Things, like a car purchase Like putting yeah. in a car purchase Every five years One of us So like we get a One of us will get a new car Every 10 years So every five years There's a There's a lot There's an amount Set in there For a big purchase Like a car
0: And then if you retire Andrew You're going to need more bikes
1: Yeah there. I should add I should add a line Just for the win
0: Don't you think you'll spend more On your hobbies Like that
1: yeah. Yes Definitely
0: I mean I am finding that In some ways You, you save in other ways But I, I do think Yeah
1: I mean you'll have things like You wouldn't have some of your Commuting expenses There There are costs that go into going to work every day and, and your yeah. job, right? But I think those are going to be smaller. Those, the increase in spending on, because you've got free time, because you want to enjoy your hobbies, you want to travel, I think those are going to be bigger than the than the savings you get from the, from yeah. the work, work. They'll outpace the savings for yes. sure.
0: Yes. So the next thing you need to have a good idea of is your net worth. And like we said earlier, the specific types of assets and cash flow that you have. So what's your existing net worth and how do you forecast that net worth change Over time. So, an example might be like I said, you know, Liz Gets Loaded has shared that, you know, when she retires, she plans to sell her house and downsize to something that might cost half as much. So, in her net worth, she can forecast in a conservative, you know, influx of some amount of cash from downsizing her housing, you know, around when she retires. It could be that you have uh, rental properties and you're expecting some level of cash flow, whatever that might be, but you want to be able to have a good sense of what your assets are and which ones are accessible when. So I, for example, have talked pretty openly about how we're funding our retirement and the next 10 to 15 years are heavily funded by our my deferred compensation plan and some rental property income and, and tapping into right. some investments. But most of it, I'll tap into investments after that or as needed before that. And everyone's is different, right? Some people don't have a DCP. Some people will will rely 100% on index funds and money mm-hmm. they have in the market. And that's you know very liquid and you can pull it out as you need it.
1: Yeah, I think the key thing is just those all of those assets that are uh, that are generating returns uh, those are the ones to to include so a brokerage account your IRAs your four, 401ks and and kind of putting all those together when you when you think about the total asset pool and then thinking up about the withdrawal percentage that you're going to use off of that asset base
0: so the the other points that are related to your expenses and your net worth and or kind of future cash flow is like we mentioned earlier you want to do your Best. It's not going to be perfect and don't overthink it, but just do your best of what you know for your own personal situation. You want to forecast things out with the details of your life so that you have a specific plan for how you will fund your retirement based on your specifics. So, we've given a couple examples already, but it might be that you know you've got some amount of passive income that's happening now and will kind of grow in the future. It could be rental properties. It could be that you plan to quit and then do a little bit of consulting and you're going to kind of forecast what that income looks like.
1: <laughs> Yeah, like one thing I think that's really important with those additional streams of income, they they're very valuable. They're twenty-five times valuable, right? If you think about it of okay, if I can generate four thousand dollars in cash flow for the year, I need a hundred thousand dollars less of capital of you know, assets that are generating returns. I need a hundred thousand dollars less. So a small amount of additional income can make a big difference in the asset base that 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 you need. So so having any type of additional income, you know, if it's part-time or, or if it's through the rental properties, any type of cash flow can can really help the, the math in terms of calculations.
0: Yeah. I remember Greg looking at this when we were retiring. And it's one of the things that led him to start playing around and doing some Ubering because he was like, if I can make 10 grand a year versus yep. nothing a year, it will dramatically change the probability of success and the amount that you're having to tap into pulling out reserves that are earning really solid interest rates right now. So yeah I, w- I would say you know don't sleep on how much a little bit of income can dramatically change your numbers or if you're like me I want to be really conservative I don't even include that income right assume the worst which is like whatever you think is going to be your side hustle doesn't work out you know so right. assume that I also assume the worst on things like social Security
1: no I was just going to mention that you know social Security is a big X factor in the cash flow when you when you get into your 60s and you know the conservative side uh, definitely suggests to to not not include it I I I truly believe that, that Social Security will continue to be around. I think it will potentially have some means testing. It could be uh, a lower amount, but I don't think it was simply going to go away at any point. But it could look differently than it does today. And uh, the conservative approaches don't include it if it happens. It's a nice to have. Other people say hey, I'm going to include some percentage of it. Right? It's, it's very easy to look at your Social Security statement and see exactly what your what your monthly income would be from Social Security based off of the age that you you decide to start taking it and model that out. And some people will, do, will just put a discount factor on it. They'll say I'm going to take 75% of that or to include in my model numbers.
0: And I mean, all of this to me depends on the reality of your model and your situation too. So I 100% agree. If you were to ask me to predict, I believe we will get some level, like people, you know, Andrew, people our age, when when we hit that age, we will get some level of social security, but I'm just not counting on it. It's going to be like icing on the cake, right? But if you are like miserable in your job and you're doing these calculations and you, the difference between you feeling comfortable leaving or not is like that, you know, Know that that over under on if social security is going to happen, like assume you know you don't need to be that conservative about it. I I just like I can assume worst case scenario and still and still feel good about pulling the plug. But again, if you're on the cusp, you all of these things are levers that you can pull up and down. And like you don't need to assume the worst on everything because I don't think the worst is going to happen on every right. single thing. But you just want to go into a big decision like this, regardless of your age, very thoughtfully and intentionally, and just thinking through all of these specific things that could be a cost or a plus in your um, early retirement scenario, or not not re- early retirement, in your retirement scenario. But the other things you want to think about are just all of the different assets you have, right? So it could be not just your brokerage, but it's that you've also got an HSA, a health savings account, which also is money in a brokerage.
1: It's interesting. Yeah. When you say HSAs, I actually don't include the HSA in my modeling. Hmm. I've, I've kind of, I think about it like, a, like the 529 plan a little bit with the kids that I know I'm going to have some medical expenses, and I don't want to count on those funds to be generating income. I kind of think of it as a separate bucket.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Which again, I don't have enough in my HSA for it to swing me one way or the other strongly because I just I only participated in it in you know a handful of years. But yeah, that those are the sort of decisions you need to make.
1: Yeah, like the three key the three key assets that I exclude are the house, the 529, and the HSA from from my models.
0: Okay, so on the flip side, the assets you do. are basically your brokerage funds.
1: Brokerage, IRA, Roth IRAs, right. IRAs, 401k, and DCP. Got it. Yeah. Okay.
0: Which is all money in some version Correct. of the market. And
1: then based off of what it is, it determines which gets pulled out earliest and which gets pulled out latest, right?
0: Another couple of things that I would say you should think about as you're thinking about your own personal scenario is understand how you're going to be taxed around some of your different income sources because it can make a huge difference. So you you just want to think about that, right? It, it isn't it when when you know when you're working and when you are retired you still pay taxes and different types of income and accounts you're pulling things out of will generate taxable income. Some of them will, some of them won't, depending on where you're pulling your money out of. But you want to think about that in your um, forecast yeah, I, and kind of as you're I, I definitely
1: include taxes in in my models and depending on on the bucket an estimated tax rate depending on on what kind of what kind of funds are being pulled from it i think that the key thing with taxes are one they can change right who knows mm-hmm. what congress will do second is generally the u.s tax system is very skewed towards income and when you're early retired when you're retired or early retired you're not generating a ton of income now you may have cash you know rental properties you could have social security all that will count as income but if your primary source of, of funds are are living off of the investments you're going to have very little income so you're going to yeah. be in a low typically a, a pretty low tax bracket and and you can manage those those tax brackets via how much you decide to take and yeah, and, it, and you can be very strategic about it
0: it's why you and I have both de- participated in our company's deferred compensation plans because we were trying- Trying to not accept money when we were in a very, well, you're still in a very high tax bracket. I am now in a low tax bracket and I'm happy to receive small chunks of that money over time because I'm mm-hmm. getting taxed at like, I don't want to say all the rates, but like 20% plus less mm-hmm. of a tax
1: yeah, rate sig- than when I was. Lower born. Yeah, tax it's,
0: it's a very meaningful amount and it, it really and, it and can also add up in a positive or negative way.
1: You can, you know, there's the standard deduction that you can take every year. And then if you're, you know, married finally and jointly, it's even higher. And, you you can definitely take a significant chunk of income and not have to pay any taxes on it, and and then also you're not going to have to pay capital gains because you're going to be at a certain a certain yeah. threshold. So all of that adds up to a a very advantageous situation for for people who are retiring early from a tax tax efficiency perspective.
0: Yeah, it's part of the magic of FIRE is people have strategically planned you know all of this out to optimize their income and taxes over their entire lifespan versus the old traditional way of, you know, we work work for, right. you know, I don't know, 50 years. Is that the math? That sounds depressing when you say it that way. I'm really <laughs> loving my like 20 year career right. lately, but okay. Another thing that I think is just, and we're going to get into like withdrawal strategy and some more specific tools and resources here, but just some, some things we want people to remember here is, you know, you, as you're modeling all this out, which again, we'll come back to in a little while, but you want to make sure that you have the right amount of money to cover your living expenses every year. And 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 there's there's all these models and we'll get into that because Andrew, even when you keep referring to like your model, I'm like, where's your model? Is it an Excel sheet? I'm just curious. I'm sure it's like a custom. It's an Excel sheet. sheet, Yeah. But there's a lot of other tools and we'll share some of those at the end of where you can go and model this stuff out using other tools that are available for free and for purchase. But one of the things that I personally like, because you like plug numbers into a model and it kind of like spit stuff back out to you. I like, I've used this life planning sheet. I actually recently put it on Etsy. It's $3 if anyone wants to buy it. You also could just email me and I will send it to you for free though, if you, if uh, the $3 is in That's any great. way. In. Andrew, you can have it free. Thank you. It, it maps things out by year. I was actually just using this with a coaching client recently. So what I like about it is the visual representation. So for example, I can, I visually mapped out that my DCP will cover my expenses for 10 to 15 years. It's, it's I don't know why I keep saying 10 to 15. It changes amounts in like after 10 years. And um, so it's kind of, you know, different percentages it covers, but it's a huge chunk of my, what I need for the next 15, years. And I can see that. And then I can see, okay, and then at that point, I'll be this age and I'll be pulling from my brokerage. And by then that brokerage will have, brokerage will have, based on you know modest returns, will have grown to this amount. And then I'll be 65. And then I can start pulling from my 401k without penalty. Or if I was in, in any of those years, if I was going to start to run out of money, I could start to map out a five-year conversion ladder to be able to access my 401k penalty free, which we're not going to get into in great detail in this episode, but there are ways ways to access your 401k early without penalty. And it, the, the uh, quick name for it is a conversion ladder and it's a, fi- it, it's a five-year process. And so there's kind of a waiting period, but you can plan in advance for stuff like that. And so I find it very helpful to actually map out year by year how you're going to fund those years. Like sometimes your first couple years early retiring is from cash that you've kind of cash reserves you're going to live off of before you start to tap into your brokerage account, whatever it might be. But I just think visually mapping that out. Andrew, does your model like-
1: yeah yeah I 100% agree with that so if so my model is I'm, I'm being optimistic I'm hoping for you know 50 years so I've got 50 columns going across the top yeah. and it's so it can create a very easy visual representation I've got all the assets on the on the left side and I model out the the balances o- over those 50 years and then I've got all these sections where I can plug in percentages that I'm I'm either reducing by that generate cash flow and then kind of at the bottom is whatever percentages I set then that generates a certain amount of cash flow and then that gets down to my expenses and, and I kind of zero out against my my forecasted expenses and then I've got assumptions in there in terms of what the what the market returns will be and then what inflation will be so yeah I think the the visual aspect has been super helpful for me as I've kind of modeled things out yeah we should definitely I, do a model share by the way yeah I was
0: just gonna say I feel like we as you were saying that I was like I feel like we've talked about how we should uh, yeah. share these models we will I'm Um, If we weren't both so busy, we probably would have done it in advance this episode. So the thing I love about the the way you're talking about your model and the kind of life planning sheet I'm talking about are when you plug numbers into some other fire calculators or like the SeaFire Sim tool, which we'll put a link in the show notes too. They're great and they're helpful, but you kind of like put some numbers in and then it spits out some probability of you know how likely it is that you're going to be okay versus run out of money, which is helpful. It makes me feel better, but I want to see it year by year, right? Like I need to. I don't want to just spit some numbers into a model that I like a black box where I don't know what it's calculating exactly.
1: Right, and it's like like just for example like crystal is a former teacher she has a a, a small pension that kicks in and when she's 60 years old so I've got a row for that 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 when she hits 60 there's that's when the pension starts that's where that hits the cash flow and so like just being able to map that out and just think through. Okay, at 72, you're going to start taking Social Security that goes into the cash flow field. We're going to live off of DCP for for the first couple of years of, of of the retirement, and then we'll start we'll draw down on the brokerage account. Then we'll move on to the IRA account. You want to you know set the the IRA. You you want to be careful of hit, getting hit with big RMD requirements at, at 72, and so you want to manage down your IRA so that the RMD are not huge. And then, you know, the then kind of the Roth Ira is 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 the backup because it's so tax efficient. That's the last bucket that that you want to touch from a tax efficiency perspective. But yeah, you kind of have all of that kind of mapped out in, in an Excel sheet.
0: And I say don't don't let everything that Andrew has in his Excel sheet overwhelm you because you without us sharing our different sheets, I'm just going to venture to say your Excel sheet is more advanced than my Excel sheet. So yours is great and and that's awesome if if everyone has Every single one of those factors that they're able to like edit and there's other tools out there that, you know, you can, many that you have to yeah, purchase. You,
1: we'll you can go you as that. simple or as complex as you want. Like, like, for example, my sheet does, I do take in taxes into account in, in mine, but you don't, you don't have to, right? You can just assume a... Fl- you could you could assume a flat tax rate. I'm going to assume 18%. It's pretty safe, right? You could do something somewhere in the 15 to 25, pick a number and and then you're just going to assume okay, just knock whatever that is off of off of the cash flow. And and you can make things you can definitely make things simpler.
0: Yeah, very true.
1: Taxes make the sh- make the model much more complex.
0: Yeah, I, you can just assume your expenses are higher and mm-hmm. that kind of covers tax, right? Add 20% to your expenses and then like feel good that you've kind of covered right. for a tax budget if you will. That's worth scenario okay Andrew I feel like we should talk with withdrawal strategy because yes that is something that I think people have a lot of questions about like you're trying to figure out if you can retire and perhaps right. you've now hopefully got a better sense of all the things that you should take into account there but then what does it actually look like to access all that money
1: so one thing about the about the four percent rule is it's kind of like the what I refer to as the middle of the road and I think you can go on either side of it by one percent so kind of I think about a, a Range of three to five percent. Three percent being very conservative. Five percent being on the more on the more aggressive side. Right. You're gonna you're gonna potentially hit some some much higher probabilities if you're axing five percent, and you're going to have a lot more safety safety at three. So I think it's 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 important to model between three and five to understand the risks that you're taking or the conservatist conservatism that you're applying at different at different withdrawal rates.
0: And to be clear, those percentage. You were naming Andrew. Those are the withdrawal rates. So that you gave the example at the beginning, but like when you say three percent,
1: right? So I I like using like what does it look like at three percent, three and a quarter, three and a half, three and three quarters, four, four and a quarter, four and a half, four and three quarters, and five. And so if you if you look at those numbers and you build in a sensitivity table of okay this is what my cash flow looks like off of you know an asset base of X and you just make that a variable number that you can play around with and you know there are a bunch of calculations. There's online that will that will do this, but it will give you a pretty good idea of okay if if I'm gonna if I, just for easy math right if I've got a million dollars of of assets that are generating returns I'm gonna ha- if I'm gonna be at three I'm gonna have thirty thousand dollars if I'm gonna be at five I'm gonna be at fifty thousand dollars and so you've got to think about your lifestyle your expenses and kind of what you're comfortable with if either you can have a smaller asset base and a higher withdrawal percentage right or you can go the other way. It it just depends on on what you're what you're comfortable with. And one thing about the Trinity study that I think is probably its biggest flaw is it assumes a fixed amount at the beginning of retirement and it doesn't adjust except for inflation. So think about that. If you if the market is down 20% and it's having a terrible year, it assumes you want to maintain the same lifestyle. And so it assumes that you would take out the exact same amount as you did on the very first year that you retired. That's not typically how people will react right most people i think will will adjust their spending and lifestyle a little bit if the market is completely tanking yeah. and so if you're willing to adopt what's referred to as a dynamic spending strategy you can significantly improve your probabilities if you if you can have you know a range of of spending you know with, within bands right so you don't want to kill the lifestyle completely
0: like you're not going to move houses but you're going right. to say like yeah we're going to eat out less
1: but but like in my in my original like million dollar example, you know, if originally you were taking out 40 and, you know, if the market's having a down year and you're going to take out 30 instead of 40, that can have a huge impact on even your 35. Success. Yes.
0: Right. Like, yeah, just cutting out a vacation or, you yeah, know, right. I love the dynamic approach because you're in control, right? So if, this is not like a set it and forget it thing, right? Like you yeah. can adjust things just like you do when you have a job and when you're not retired. Yeah. Like you make decisions on what you're willing to spend based on realities of things happening to your finances around you.
1: So I think that's that's flaw number 1 within the Trinity study and I don't think people would necessarily I I understand the reasoning behind it, right? The reasoning behind it is I want to maintain the same lifestyle in in retirement, right? But I think you can you can adjust some human behaviors there to 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 enhance success. The the second Thing with the Trinity study is it assumes a net balance of zero at the end of retirement.
0: Die with zero.
1: It, it is very in line with the die with zero principle. However, I think most people don't want to cut it that close. <laughs>
0: Or can predict when they're going to die.
1: That that too, right? And so you know, if if you, let's just do some simple, some more simple math, right? You decide you you want to you know re- retire on the earlier side at 50, and you have a 30 year horizon at 80, but you end up living to 90. You followed the four percent rule, and you suddenly have zero money at 80, right? That's that's the worst case scenario. And what I like what early retirement now is modeled is they will go through some some scenarios with the asset base to be at 25% of the original balance, or 50% of the original balance, or 75, or even 100. Right. So they've come up with some models that that say we're not going to we're not going to model this out to be where the assets go to zero. So I think that's I really like those charts to look at because I, I think that adds a, a level of buffer. And you know, for those of us who've got who got children, that you know, people you know certainly we want to leave some funds for our children, not not completely die of the zero. So I think that's that's something to take into, into consideration as well and is, is a slight flaw of the uh, of the 4% rule. Yeah. So how did, how did you think about your withdrawal rates and withdrawal strategies and kind of conservatism to aggressive?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll be really honest. I didn't think about it in great detail. I had some rough, I was about to say rough and tumble, some like rough and dirty numbers of I knew our expenses pretty solidly pre-teenagers and I knew our net worth. I knew what my DCP would be. I mean, you know, again, some factors of kind of how that grows in the market over the next 10 to 15 years. But I knew the 25 times rule. I knew the 4%, everything you're talking about. I knew I was fine based on that. I think at some point I probably did some 3% math also. And there were a lot of, I mean, I did include our rental properties because I mm-hmm. knew we could. they yeah, absolutely. They're, yeah, they're providing passive income now and we could sell them whenever we want. Again, barring some like crazy drop in the market for a couple of years, but like Mm -hmm. overall, most of, I mean, if I go back in the last 30 years, like I could have sold them 29 out of 30 years, you know, without taking a big loss, I mean. So, and then I would do things like I did use some tools like the CFIR SIM tool to just do some general probability checking and I mapped it out year by year with not even all the details on like taxes and inflation rates and other things. I just generally knew I had enough and i had done some padding like like some padding of kind of worst case scenarios of like some these big one time expenses over the you know next 10 to 20 mm-hmm. years for like when the kids were in college i threw some extra expenses in there and i looked at i did more simple math on what i would have and how my expenses would increase over time and where i was going to fund that and then again i i did i did the like mapping it out by year i roughly did the 25 times math and knew that i was you know more than good on that and i didn't go Significantly further than that I was Tired and stressed and ready to leave My job and I knew I also knew something that I often Tell people I could always go back To work I mean I was like I was like I'm I'm really Good barring any like crazy emergencies Or things I can't predict you know and I did take into account this is Actually important to note also going back To the things to take into account I roughly took Into account the fact that both of our Parents all of our parents that are You know still alive generally can take Care of themselves financially so Mm -hmm. I if if they couldn't i would have included that in my forecast of like hey we're going to have some costs associated with that and again something crazy could still happen and there could be some we're not expecting but overall our parents are in a you know financially secure situation if your parents aren't and are more financially insecure i remember kirsten and julian from rich and regular talking about this right if they're not you need to forecast that in right and the other thing i knew that made me feel better about kind of having a rough view of my numbers andrew was i could always go back to work yeah and I'd probably end up making some money that I didn't even forecast into this because I'd get bored. I'd start some project. I'd, you know, start making money off, you know, X, Y, Z. And it wouldn't be the kind of money I made before, but it would, like we said, those small amounts can make a dramatic change in how fast you are withdrawing your money. And then, you know, how much longer your money's there to continue to grow.
1: So you, you, you hadn't like, you hadn't taken a, all right, when I can get to, you know, I want to be at three and a half percent or I want to be at three and a quarter you hadn't gotten down to that level of, of detail no, at all okay
0: no and I still haven't because what I have looked at is and I think I've put this on Instagram before I currently have more money than I had when I retired and I'm you know a year and a few months into it and some of that is market performance well I mean a lot of that is market performance but I'm seeing how fast I'm spending down I mean I haven't touched any of my investments yet
1: yeah that's gonna be a... uh I've, I've thought about that quite a bit in terms of you know in my model what is the first Year that I have to actually sell some investments, yeah, right, and you know that's that's kind of like an unnerving because essentially you've switched from accumulation to withdrawal, yeah, decumulate, right? yeah. So, so that's that's kind of like a key milestone that that I hear people talk about quite a bit is at what point do you actually have to start selling the assets?
0: Yeah, and my my forecast on that is definitely not in the next ten years,
1: right? Because you the because the the DCP plus the rental income, um, yeah. Helps to cover most of the living expenses, right? Yeah,
0: and cash reserves that I have,
1: mm-hmm, right?
0: Right, and so it, it's a mix of those, probably three things, and some, yeah. I was gonna say like passive income, but that's mostly rental properties, and and that's not passive anyways. But same idea, and so yeah, I've not done as in depth or as forensic of an analysis of you as you've mm-hmm. done upfront or on the withdrawal. To your point, right, on my withdrawal rate, but I still feel very positive and confident about it. I'm not sure I would have said that right when I was quitting, but being a year in and kind of seeing how, I mean, I'm actually spending more money right now. I know a lot of that's variable and controllable too. So I know that if like we were talking about, you know, if I hit a rough patch and I had something really unexpected come up, we spend 20 to $30,000 a year on travel. Like I could pull that back overnight if I wanted to, you know, and I do love to travel, but like, it'll be okay. You know, we're not, I'm not taking the kids internationally for a year and like the world's not going to end. And so I do, I feel like my approach is a little, Mm, what would you call it? Ross?
1: Uh, maybe a little less scientific.
0: Yeah, a little less scientific, but good enough. Right. If that makes sense. I, I feel, and again, I feel good enough about it for so many reasons because I can always go back to work. My goal, one of my like short-term goals was, and, and Greg and I to like be around for the next 10 years that our kids are still in the house with us. Like I have no worries over the next 10 to 15, 20 years. Yeah. I'm going to end up doing something. I I just, I'm too wired the way I am. Them, right? And mm-hmm. I'm am never going to, I don't believe I'll ever, people always ask me, like, I don't believe I'll ever go back to a corporate job. Not saying I won't do a little bit of consulting here and there, like something else.
1: You can shadow me for a day if you'd like to get some, some you know, if you miss your corporate job. Remind for, myself for
0: why I don't want to go back yeah. to it. <laughs> do I have to ride my bike to work like 20 miles or... <laughs> I'm gonna be like, really, you're gonna be like, I'm late for work today because I was waiting for Maggie to.
1: So one one thing you mentioned, that I think, is is important to talk about. You mentioned how the market has performed pretty well since you since you retired, and probably the biggest risk to early retirement, you know, earlier retirement, is sequencing a returns risk, right? And so yeah. that's the concept that the first couple years of your retirement are really important in terms of how the market performs. So if your timing is really poor, in that you you decide to pull the plug, and suddenly the market goes into a huge recession. Think like the financial crisis, right? Of 2008. People who retired at the end of 2007 saw their portfolios decline dramatically. And if you think about it, if you retired, you're not adding at, you're not building those balances anymore. The market declines, those balances go down. Now your now your retirement is off of a of a of a much lower base. And so the first couple of years can make a big difference in terms of. Of um, how the assets perform over a long horizon, and so that's that's what's referred to as sequencing of returns risk, where those those early years are really important. And on the flip side, if you have some really good years, a few, you know, if the five years following your retirement, if you have some very good years, you can get more aggressive on your withdrawal rates because you've you essentially the balances have have built up in those in those five years more than they would have in in a in a down market.
0: Yeah, and more than they're going to increase if. There's a couple of bad years, you know. After those, you know, good five years. The other thing I often think about with the withdrawal strategy, I know Andrew, you were like, you know, you like the idea of like waiting as long as you can to start having to pull out of your brokerage funds. So when you do finally start pulling out of your brokerage funds, it's not like you're taking out a whole year's worth of money. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's not like the markets down at one point you've got to take out a hundred thousand dollars for that year's expenses or fifty or wherever you're at, and you're taking a big hit on that amount of money. You can take out money in small batches as you you literally really take out money every other week or monthly or whatever makes sense based on, because if the market's down, you'd be like, wait, see how long you can kind of like get lean for a while. You you can, you, you kind of made this point earlier, right? But you you can adjust your spending based on what is yeah. happening. But you can also do that in like micro doses, not, not at a whole year or, or a couple years level. You can do that every week and month.
1: So that's an interesting point that early retirement now, they made an adjustment where the Trinity study assumes pulling the money out for the full year, they adjusted, they're modeling. So it's it's every month. And so, because that's just, that's how people would would operate, right? Yeah. Uh, one question I had for you was, how do you think about dividends? Have you changed your your investment approach so that you're not reinvesting dividends anymore? Because I've thought through that as, you know, once you're in retirement, I would, I would probably flip it so I'm not reinvesting dividends anymore. How have you approached that?
0: I haven't. I actually was just going into my account to double, triple check on all the different funds I have that they're automatically reinvesting dividends. Because I found a couple where it wasn't that they were putting out small amounts. So I, I this is where the it. simplified
1: strategy of VTSAX yeah, is I helpful, know. right? Well,
0: I have a simplified strategy going forward. I have a historically old crap that I'm dealing with. I actually sold a ton of stuff this week.
1: I heard, I saw that. Congratulations, yeah. nice job. I keep telling my mom to do the same thing, and she won't listen.
0: I sold a bunch of stuff, and I have a bunch of capital losses. I haven't sold. I'm scared to sell some stuff that have. I need to simplify some stuff that have had gains on them, mm-hmm. but I'm scared to do it till I have a better look at our income for the year because I want to kind of like time that out better. Yeah, you
1: want to do it in a year where you where you have low Yeah, exactly. Low taxes. And I'm just
0: not exact. This is like our first full year and I'm just mm-hmm. I'm trying to, I'm a, I might sell some stuff like the last week of December. But one thing I tried to sell was so bad. It, it's actually a Canadian stock and I didn't know that when I bought it for what it's worth. But it's a company that like Greg was reading some article about I'm not even getting what was. It it's why I don't buy individual stocks. Reason
1: anymore. number 582 Reason number should yes, 6, yes.
0: And so I tried to sell it. Fidelity wouldn't let me. I was getting these weird error messages. Even the like chat support couldn't help me. And he was like, you got to call our international trading team. And I was like, okay. And the guy on the phone was so helpful. He was like, okay, look, this company filed for bankruptcy. They're in. (laughs) And I already knew that. I knew it was worth nothing. I was like, but dude, I need my $700 in capital losses. That's all I want. I don't care that it's worth $17 right now. I just, could you please? And he's like, I can't, he's like, they're not allowed to trade right now because they're like in the process and someone's buying them likely. And so he's like, and then a tiny part of me is like, oh, maybe this company isn't dead yet. Maybe I'm going to get rich off this. But anyways, I just wanted to get rid of it. I can't. Cannot get rid of it. I'm blocked until they like reopen it, which may never happen. So I was like, "Was like you're telling me there's no way I can realize these capital losses? I would like to. I would like they're my losses. I would like them." And he was like, "Yeah, nothing you can do about it." Anyways, reason number six thousand twelve on why you should not buy individual stocks based on articles you read about things that you think are going to be up and coming trends. Oh, dividends. So no, first off, I don't yet need those dividends. Back to the point I was making earlier. So I don't want them yet. So I still want them to be reinvested. And I also like to be able to control them. So the only thing I don't like about when your dividends aren't reinvested is they just dump out when they dump out. And yeah, Every you can't, quarter. Yeah. And you don't know, I mean, you can't predict the amount. I mean, I guess you could kind of slowly predict it over time.
1: I mean, like on VTSAX, typically it's about a one and a half percent.
0: Yeah. Either way, whether my dividends are reinvested or whether I'm taking them, either way, I'm paying taxes on them. Right. In this year.
1: Right. It's essentially what you're doing is you're getting a dividend, You're it's taxable income. And do you decide to, that money to go into your bank account, or does that money go into back into the account in order to buy more stock? And so you can achieve the same thing, even if you keep the dividends reinvested. So you could say, well, just go sell some stock, and you're going to have the same, same effect, essentially it's just it's just from like a from a simplicity standpoint that that money just gets deposited in your account every quarter right
0: yeah we talked about this on the rental property episode with greg where somebody had made the point of rental prop when you're getting money that you're that's earned through your rental property business it feels different than selling off stock it feels more like you're getting a paycheck kind of you know so like psychologically you feel better able to receive it than you than if you have to like go sell off investments and i think having dividends set to pay out as cash versus reinvested is probably the same way when you start to need the money mm-hmm. because like either way I'm getting hit on the taxes. I never noticed the taxes before because those dividends were such a small percentage of my overall income that I just didn't even notice like the amount I was paying. And now like the other day when I was selling off this stuff, I w- I went to look and see what my dividends were year to date because I was like I I'm trying to manage my income now for tax purposes and for the our medical subsidy and for a bunch of reasons. And so all of a sudden I like care and notice about the dividends more. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, yeah, I'm not I've not changed my approach there. I I might when I'm actually relying on those things.
1: Yeah, it's like I've I've modeled it out that that the dividends are going to be are going to be significant. And so like the ultimate the ultimate power play is you can live off your dividends out of the brokerage account. Right. (laughs) That
0: is nice. A big chunk of my money is in FC Rocks, which is like a Fidelity Zero version of VTechs. They pay out dividends at the end of the year. Okay. They sort of like... I, I was researching really? this. they like... That's yeah, weird. I know. It is weird. There's a whole article about it on uh, Personal Finance Club. It, and it actually was edited. Oh, I'm going to send you a link to it because it's really interesting. It was... I read it and then I was like, why am I in this? And then and then they edited their own article because they said something bad about FC Rocks and then they had... Adju- about the way they pay dividends and how it was actually like made it basically like... Not as good of a fund They said like Otherwise FC Rocks Is actually comparable mm-hmm. And then they went And I was like reading it And I was like really bummed out This was today This was earlier this week When I was selling this stuff And then it said While FC Rock Update While FC Rocks Does only pay dividends annually The conclusion below Is largely incorrect FC Rocks actually Reinvest those dividends Internally to the fund Throughout the year The And the growth Is in the share price They just don't show you The dividends So it says You can see this Because they pay the dividends are paid in December um, And the share price Takes a hit Equal to the dividend dividend payment, the difference between the two funds. So I don't see the dividends till the end of the year versus you Mm. see them quarterly on other ones. Um, On Vanguard,
1: Yeah. Okay. It's, it's at the end of the day, it's semantics, right? Yeah. It's, it really like, it's kind of like, I I had this conversation with my mom last year because she was having a hard time understanding. And, and I said, you could, you know, if you have, if you own a stock that doesn't pay any dividend, if you just sold 2% of your stock, you could quote generate a dividend. Like it's just, it's just how the company decides. To mm-hmm. return capital to shareholders, some some companies decide, hey, we're just going to continue to reinvest in the business. We're going to grow grow earnings per share, which is going to grow our stock price. Or other companies are going to say, no, we got excess cash. We actually don't think we can invest it as well as you, and so we're just going to give it back to you as a dividend. So it it really it's it's really just about capital strategy.
0: Yeah, and I have a, on that note, I have a couple of funds that I had maybe like ten grand total in a couple of different funds that Mike at some point had suggested that were high dividend funds mm-hmm. or companies and they're doing like terrible and they have been for a long time. Why is that? And I was like, they were some of the ones I want to sell too. They've all got losses on them.
1: I mean, like traditionally all the technology companies don't issue dividends because they're reinvesting and they're trying to grow, you know, trying to grow the business in in high growth. Whereas somebody like an ExxonMobil or, you know, some of these historical Dow companies where they're just generating lots of good cash and then they just, you know, deploy that in dividends. Okay.
0: I think we can, like mention some of these tools if we want. We kind of already talked a little bit about it. There used to be some like good fire tools, but I don't know what they are now.
1: I mean Seafire C- C- Fire Sim is 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 definitely um is definitely pretty pretty good. But I, I I actually don't find I find them more of just like a hey ballpark, you know, yes, they can account for certain stuff, but I find the the visual Excel and actually how are you going to map out your specific situation and how are you going to access those funds what percentages are you going to use and how are you essentially how are you going to generate cash flow because ultimately that's what you, you know what are you going to do to generate cash flow and how how are you how are you going to do that and what are the percentages that you're you're going to use
0: yeah I think that's a great point and and again we can put a link to some of these tools like the cfire sim tool but again those are those are simulators yeah they're simulators and, the and they're they're,
1: they're back testing with probability and they can put you in the right ballpark and they are helpful in terms of seeing what Different inputs, how they drive yeah. results, and so you can play around and see that if you put in a, a crazy six or seven percent withdrawal rate, right, your you, the chances of failure are extremely high. And then you know you could change, for example, Fire sim. You can adjust the ratio between stocks and bonds. You know, play around with that. You can say, you know, what if I start with a bigger a bigger pile, right? Like, what if I start with larger assets and and take out higher percentages in order to fund a uh, you know fat fat fire lifestyle right yeah. i mean a lot of this comes down to lifestyle right do you want a lean fire regular fire chubby fire fat fire chubby uh, <laughs> fire
0: I like chubby.
1: Chubby fire is a good one. Chubby I fire heard on Reddit. Of chubby fire. You haven't but, heard of chubby fire? But maybe yeah.
0: you or someone mentioned it recently. I think I might be on chubby fire. Not. I don't know if I'm fully on fat fire. Maybe I am. Wait, what's the definition? I forget the definition of fat fire. I don't like these terms in general. So let's move on. Okay. The other thing that the C-Fire sim tool is helpful for is like playing around with. Oh, if I have an extra ten thousand of income that's you know from side jobs and other things, then how will that adjust the probability of my success? Right. So it's just it's good for some like quick and dirty stuff like that. But ultimately, I think. You and I, Andrew, are both on the manual spreadsheet and mapping things out year by year with formulas. So you're not like, you know, you can drag this stuff over once you build the formulas. And maybe, Andrew, someday we we could do a template off of your
1: Yeah, I was, I was thinking about that, right? You can it's definitely not public ready.
0: Not user experience designed yet.
1: Yeah. But it's yeah, I think maybe we can work on uh, work on that at some point.
0: Yeah, someday. Future goals when you have time in between winning national championships yeah. and stuff. Okay. I think we're I think we're good.
1: Anything Anything else?
0: I hope this has been helpful for people. I hope this helps people to understand what they need to retire in, the, in that, you know, the answer to that is different for everybody. And you've got to take into account your own personal situation and all the different levers you can pull and think through all of those for yourself. And then go talk to other people because it, it is helpful to to have people and a lot of people in the FI community are willing to talk and share and, you know, on a one-on-one basis.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of what we were saying at the beginning, like this is the fundamental question and how people approach it and, and the percentages that people are targeting is the most important thing. And, you know, like on, like for me personally, you know, I lean on the very conservative side. Shocker. I know.
0: You do, because you could be retired right now, Andrew.
1: You know, I'm targeting the, the, you know, I want to be in that 3% range just to have plenty of buffer and make sure that, you know, lots of different scenarios are, are accounted for
0: yeah there's nothing wrong with that that's why it's called personal finance you, you do what makes you comfortable
1: i forgot there's one other thing i wanted to do i wanted to talk about the the mistake i made on the last one and correct well, let's it. do it yeah so we, we got a listener i was gonna say reader no, uh, a listener question about something i said on the last episode when talking about mortgages and the impact of additional payments and so what i said was that for every you know if you add on if you just pay an extra hundred dollars that you can take nine years off your mortgage. And the, the listener, very rightly so, said, I can't come up with any math that actually does that.
0: She was like, there's no interest
1: rate where that math plays out. They are 100% correct because I left out a very important detail that that $100 is for every $100,000 that you have on your mortgage. So if you have a $300,000 mortgage and you put an extra $300 a month on, it will take nine years off at a 6% interest rate. So obviously the size of the mortgage, the interest rate and the payment and the amount that you're paying is, is very important. Right. But that's the simple math on it is that for every hundred a hundred dollars for every hundred thousand of debt that you've got at a six percent rate will take nine years off and so that's that's still a big chunk right so yeah. even if you have a a three or four hundred thousand dollar mortgage and you're putting extra three or four hundred dollars a month on it which is a well not even that's a a small car payment these days will knock nine years off your mortgage on a, on a 30 year
0: yeah so said another way Andrew you said it right for everybody out there who has a hundred thousand dollar mortgage which sadly Correct. probably isn't it's, a lot of people
1: it's just not uh, a lot of people. Correct. It's not
0: realistic in a lot of markets, but we really do appreciate the person who
1: Yeah, reached we The, out the, the feedback, feedback is great. We, always we, lo- we love hearing yeah. from people. We love feedback on it and certainly if we've uh, if we've said something that's incorrect, we want to uh, we want to set the record straight and correct it.
0: Yeah. Okay, it's officially been corrected. Well done, Andrew. Thank you. Okay, I hope this is helpful. Thank you guys for listening. We know your time is limited. We appreciate you spending some of it with us. If you've enjoyed this episode, we always appreciate a written review on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave us a rating on Spotify. If you've done that already, thank you so much. If you want to go do it, thank you so much.
1: We also encourage you to share this episode with a friend or family member to encourage ongoing discussion about money. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have thoughts or questions, we'd love to hear from you. And you can leave us a voicemail or text us at 404 981 3370 or hit us up on Instagram.
0: Okay, Andrew, when are you going to retire?
1: That's a great question. As soon as Crystal doesn't want, you know, wants me hanging out in the house, which is I think a long ways off.
0: Oh, okay. Wow. That's funny. That's a good strategy on when you're, when you're allowed to come home again.
1: You know, right. I, you know, in all seriousness, I still, I still enjoy what I do and I like working. Yes. There are some days that are more challenging than others, but, but overall I I enjoy what I do and, uh, and I don't think Crystal's ready to have me at home yet. So yeah. we will, we will keep working.
0: I feel you on that. Okay. Thank you. Good discussion. Hope yeah. you have a great night. Bye Andrew.
1: Great. Thanks Maggie. Bye. Bye. Around